who's trying to reach is currently unavailable. Please leave a message after the beep. It's Tuesday, November 27th, and you're listening to the Typed Out Podcast. I am your host and creator, Nick Polifrone. Every week, Typed Out aims to bring you conversations that seek to expand the boundaries of understanding and acceptance. In this episode, I am joined by my friend and documented creator, Tamron Garrity. What's up, Tam? Hi. How are you? I'm great, thank you, friend. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. So if you've been following along with us, you'll hear a certain familiarity amongst Tam's last name. That is because her sister, Kellen, is the founder of the Sarah Blue Publishing Company, whom you may remember from our premiere episode, which means that the Garrity sisters are out to achieve greatness. So, well, first of all, I just want to intro how you and I know each other, which we met in London back in 2009, I think it was. Yeah, 2009 or 2008. A long time ago, either way. Yeah, just shy of 10 years ago. But since then, Tam has started Document It, which is this incredible weekly episodic docu-short series. I'm I'm butchering this, aren't I? <laughs> but Tam, please, <laughs> I'm going to allow you to explain it. This is like when people, because I, I, sometimes I'll sit back and, and you know, when, when folks introduce me and then they try to explain typed out, I kind of want to see what they say just to see how my marketing is coming across. So I feel like I'm failing you as that friend right now. But can you please explain to our lovely listeners, document it and the mission behind it? I, okay, firstly, I think you did a really good job. So, so it's working. But it's one minute documentaries that come out every Wednesday on, on social media, on various platforms. And it's just stories about people that I find interesting and topics that I find interesting and and it's more about listening to other people's stories, taking a break from your own narrative to actually be present and listen to someone else's, even if it's just for a minute. And I've found of late that I'm not the only person who really enjoys that. Yeah. And it's, it's just the most fun I've ever had. I've met so many cool and interesting people who... I probably would never ever have had an opportunity to meet otherwise and being given the opportunity to turn off my cell phone and talk to someone for an hour or two and just actually listen to what they say is the best job I've ever had. Yeah, and I feel like Document It kind of runs parallel with Typed Out and the way that it is seeking to highlight the stories of people whose story might not otherwise be told. Exactly. Or at least to a greater, greater audience. Yes, exactly. And, and the, the other thing about Documented that I didn't mention is that for participants, you know, outside of hopefully one day sponsored content and commissions, every participant of um, Documented gets to use the video after the fact in whatever capacity they want for free of charge. So basically, I give them this video and they can use it for marketing. They can use it for awareness. They can use it to send it to their aunt in somewhere random. It's literally whatever is best for them, the video is theirs, which is which I think anywhere in the world is kind of a big deal, but it's especially a big deal here because it's such a luxury to to be able to make content and to have content made about you and your cause and your story is it's almost unheard of. It's not a it's not a common thing. So I, I have a two part question for you. And and the first part of it is how did your interest in documentary filmmaking begin? What's your journey there? So I have actually always been interested in in documentary, but not just documentary like um true crime. Um, <laughs> as a kid, I think I went to the local library every week and I read every single true crime book there was because I actually wanted to be a detective. 12-year-old Tam wanted to be a detective, so there was no fiction reading for me and except for the like, occasional Nancy Drew, but it was always just non-fiction, true crime, and it just kind of grew from there and then it became about getting my, my fix somewhere else and moving on to documentaries of almost all, all kinds. But again, true crime has been the thing that has really 
suckered me in. Um, and then there was podcasts when that came out, because that, that was only something that came out in South Africa maybe in the last like three or four years that became a popular thing. And I'm pretty much um, addicted to podcasts, which is why this is so amazing, because this is the first time I've ever been on a podcast. Well, welcome. Thank you. Happy to take that card for you. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just, it's like, it's the type of content that I consume all the time um, in different formats. So whether it's reading it, watching it, or listening to it, it's what I enjoy. I've worked in advertising for a very long time, and the people I've worked with, they're great. The individual projects we've worked on, they've been interesting, but it's just not for me. It's a thing, but it's not my thing. Yeah. And about four years ago, um, we went to New York. You know that because I saw you. Yes. Which actually, I have to just connect that there. Yes. That trip, when you came to New York, is probably the catalyst and the reason why I'm in New York now. Far away high five. Right there. Yes. High fives for that. <laughs> so two ways in which you've inspired me. But I'm sorry, continue. No, no, no. That's cool. Um, yeah, so, so I really, I just, I'd been to New York before, but I stayed in Manhattan and, and this last time we stayed in Brooklyn with friends and we saw you and I just saw a whole nother side to the city and it was kind of like Joburg, but different. And it's mm. the first time I've ever felt really at home anywhere else in the world. And after that, I just wanted to go back and it was literally about finding any way to make it possible. Um, and I actually just, I never knew about it before. I stumbled across the New York Film Academy in my research of like, how do I make moving to New York a possibility? And in researching that, we found out that they were having auditions, went for an interview, didn't actually know what I wanted to study. I just figured, well, I've, I, I work in this industry. I've got a degree in this industry. Like, let's go, let's go further the studies. And I had a friend at the time who'd actually been to, to NIFA and had studied documentary um, filmmaking there. And I took her out for coffee and I asked her to tell me about it. And just the stories she told me, not just not like specifically about New York, but just about working in documentary every day um, and, and being in that world, it just made me realize that that's exactly what I wanted to do. Because I, I work mainly in in advertising, like I said, but also in animation, which is like polar opposite to documentary. It's like chalk and cheese. Um, so after listening to her, I was like, yeah, let's go for the, the audition. Um, both me and my now husband went and we both got partial scholarships. And from there, it was like, this is what we want to do. And for four years, it was a major mission to get to film school, not just for New York, but because this is what I realized that I actually wanted to do. And um, it just kind of like, everything just kind of fell into place. When I like speaking to her, I just suddenly realized like, oh, that like combines every single thing that you love. Why have you never thought about doing this? And so it was a major like wake up for me. Um, Andrew was trying to change career from being a graphic designer to a cinematographer. So it really worked out well in our lives time-wise. And um, yeah, so it was just a fundraising experiment for like four years until I actually just, I didn't grow despondent. I think I became a little bit more realistic as to what I was trying to achieve. And it was to go to film school when I have already been and to study something that I could just do if I just dedicated the time. Um, so after quite a few months, Andrew and I just decided that, you know what, like this could take forever, but also can we say that spending that kind of money to go to film school when we've both studied already is a good investment of our time and our money and our efforts. Like, let's just do the thing instead of studying to do the thing. We just bought gear and... We just started filming. Um, he he is my my director of photography. I do the producing and the directing and the editing and the social media stuff. 
Um, and then in Cape Town, I've got a junior um, camera operator. Her name is Jess Myhill. And what's amazing about the three of us is that we met in a fundraising group called Get Us There that we started um, to yes. all go and study at the New York Film Academy. And if it weren't for NIFA, even though I have never gone, I don't think I would be where I am right now. And I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have met Jess. We wouldn't have met quite a lot of people that we now know. And it was an amazing experience and it brought me to where I am today. So long story short, 12-year-old Tam wanted to be a detective. 33-year-old Tam became a director, which is like the same thing, but different. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of investigative skills that, you know, go into specifically what you're doing because you're finding people to be the subjects of each document. And I would imagine that that takes some level of detective work, you know, to figure out what this person's doing. Is this is there really a story here? How much do I want to capture on that? How do you find the folks that that wind up becoming the subjects for each document? So there's no actual formula um sometimes it's just like um people that i've heard of along the way so for example um Khapi. i haven't actually interviewed her yet she is the cinematographer who um, was on humans of new york that i put forward she um she's a cinematographer and i heard a producer that i worked with maybe three years ago four years ago mention her because she was the the first female cinematographer that she had heard of and I was just thinking in the beginning stages I was like people who do jobs that are not your standard job and I was thinking of like weird and wonderful and creative jobs and then I realized actually where we are right now currently in in history it's not about the weird and wonderful jobs it's about the standard jobs that different people are doing so yes. there's been a very large theme about um, people in different career roles that were traditionally held by men, and now women are doing it. I don't mm -hmm. like to preface their uh, job title by their gender, but just for the example of what we're speaking about, we have a female bodybuilder and a female pilot and a female cinematographer and a female pro motorbike racer. Um, it's, it's stories like that where it's, it's people gender-bending job roles, basically. Yeah. And then I've also, um, I'll get like a, an idea, go, I want to make a video about a dancer. And I'll just put it on Facebook and I'll be like, friends, tell me who you know who are dancers. And people will just send me a whole bunch of ideas and then I'll do like a little bit of research about them. And out of that exercise, I... Um, reached out to a burlesque dancer who I've uh, already interviewed. The documented hasn't come out yet. Um, there's a hip-hop dancer who's yet to be filmed. Um, there were quite a lot. I think there were um, some pole dancers. There were some ballet dancers. I think there was a tap dancer. So it's like one topic can bring out so many different views from so many different people. So it's about reaching yeah. out to people. And it's also about just saying, hey, sister, do you know anyone who could work? Do you, friend, um, know anyone? And now that I've started to actually interview people, um, it, it becomes like a chain reaction. So the first person that I interviewed was Deborah Darling. And Deborah Darling mm -hmm. recommended Lee Binks to me, who is the um, bodybuilder. And Deborah also put me in touch with um, her friend Alex, whose um, documented hasn't come out yet, but has been filmed. And Alex has in turn told me about five different people who might be um, interesting. So it's very much like a giant web of connectivity just unfolding. It's like seeing a social media network, but in real life, just like coming together it's it's really amazing so some sometimes it is me just researching or finding an article on online or seeing an instagram post um which which has happened a couple of times i've seen friends posts and i've gone that's exciting and i and i reach out yeah. to them and then they're interested but i would say it's 50 percent my research 
25% a call on social media and 25% people introducing me. Now, with those two things combined, having a call out for, let's say, a dancer, and then you get, I don't know, 15 people responding, and then you have a network of folks that are connecting you to people that they also think would be great features. How do you pare down who it is that you ultimately interview? Like with the dancers, like how do you choose out of that pool? Because it sounds like it's quite diverse. How do you narrow down who it would be when you're comparing someone like a pole dancer to a burlesque dancer to a tap dancer to a hip hop dancer? So I think every one of those individuals has their own story. The fact that they're dancing is their commonality, but each person has led a totally different life. And their their discipline, even though it has the word dancing and it doesn't mean that it's exactly the same thing so what I did was I um, I just asked for for names and I just went and I researched and I just looked at the I mean everyone was interesting but I just looked at the people who spoke to me and I'll, I'll give you um, an example of the our burlesque dancer her her stage name is Jezebel and we've already interviewed her and she's already posted some stuff on like Instagram stories. And so have we. So it's no, it's no secret. Um, and she asked me why I chose her when there were so many other burlesque dancers on the list. And some of them were people who perhaps have been doing this longer than her or whatever the case may be. And I said to her, because I looked at your... Instagram profile and I realized you look like me I can identify with you you in the in the most fabulous way in the most beautiful way you're not the stereotype voluptuous woman and that makes you Mm. even more sexy um, to me and I just wanted to find out more about your story um, because it seems like you're doing something a little bit different that people wouldn't necessarily associate with um, burlesque dancing and she she actually really loved that answer and when um, I'm going to give away the whole document here but anyway when we were um, chatting I actually found out that she's doing her masters in body positivity like could wow. have picked a better person and it was just because I looked at her and I was like I can identify with you and you're doing something I don't think I could ever do in a million years, and yet you look like me. Yeah. Let me let's let's chat. And then with the with some people, it comes down to not really about um, me identifying with their story or identifying with an element that I find interesting or curious. It comes down to their um, availability. Sometimes, like it's literally, I live in this tiny little isolated village in the middle of nowhere and documented is currently unfunded so there's no ways I can go and interview them now so sometimes it's about well I live in Joburg or I have the ability to go to Cape Town because other people are going and I can drive with them Um, and then that makes the decision for me but that doesn't actually phase me too much because everybody has a story and everybody's experience is different to mine. And everybody's journey is emotive. Because that's basically what it means to be human. Yeah. So I I think, I mean, I haven't done that many documents. Maybe filmed maybe 30 in total. But so far, my theory stands that if you have a conversation with anyone, you'll be able to to walk away with enough information to put together a story that's totally different to yours and it's going to be interesting and it's going to be emotive and it's going to be something that people want to watch because it's at the end of the day all it comes down to is a human connection so it really it really doesn't matter as long as you can get the time with them and I think that might be the most important thing yeah 
Now, of all the documents that you've filmed, you said it's about 50 in total thus far? I would love it to be 50. I think it's more like 30, but I actually haven't counted. Oh, 30. Yeah, I think I think it's Sorry. 30. No, 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 it's okay. I think uh, today was the 14th episode. It's David's Hot Bay Beach Executive. Which was incredible, by the way. Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's my, oh, you, you know Tandy, our friend Tandy's cousin. And that's an example of how I met David. My friend Tandy yeah. is his cousin. So it's like that connection. But I think I filmed maybe another 10 to 15, maybe 20. I haven't actually counted them all because it's overwhelming how much editing I have to do. <laughs> but that's good. You've got content. Yes. But for anyone that hasn't seen David's video, David actually dedicates himself to cleaning up the beaches down by where he lives to remove the plastic from the water and the beach to not only keep the beach clean, but also protect the wildlife. And it's so motivating as far as more people should be responsible for picking up their own trash. We shouldn't have somebody like David dedicated to doing it. But just the fulfillment that he finds in doing that work is is so special. So on behalf of him, thank you for sharing his story. What I wanted to ask, Tam, is of, of all the documents that you filmed, is there one in particular that has touched you in such a way that maybe you found yourself getting emotional on set or you really felt the connection in the moment? Okay, so I have... I have like a couple of answers for that. This is such a hard one, but... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's good, it's good, it's good. It's nice being on the receiving end of questions for a change. So I think filming Deborah Darling's one, She Deborah was the first document that I did. Uh, Deborah is an older, older lady who found her career path at the age of 53. And I'm not 53, but that story really resonated with me because... Deborah Darling will always be special to me because she was the first person who said, you know what, that's a really good idea. You should do yeah. that. And I am in. And she's been like the biggest cheerleader the entire way. She's amazing. But so so filming that was emotional. And like just the moment where she she announces that she's not past her sell by date and there's no such thing as a sell by date. That really like got me in the feels. Um Editing together um, Boothley, the movie man. He is a young man who runs a pop-up cinema in Kailicha. So when, when I interviewed him, the, there was a moment where he had to like gather himself because he was going to start to cry when I asked him why this is so important to him. And we, we were filming in, in his house and... It is a semi-informal um, township, which means that there are houses, but they're very small. There are no toilets. People have long drops. Half the people live in in shacks or uh, like a cement block that has no facilities at all. Um, mm. So his house, it's his mom's house. It was beautiful. It was, you, you could see his mom is so house proud um, and as she should be, it's just everything has a place, but there is so much love poured into it. Um, there's all these little messages everywhere, like do small things with great love. And uh, on the back of the door, when you leave the house, it says, um, love everyone, but trust no one. <laughs> and like, just these like amazing like little gems. And I think in the moment I was so overwhelmed and it, and it, was, it was very small. She has a full house in terms of, a uh, kitchen, dining room, TV lounge, bedroom, another bedroom, but in a very small space. So I was literally sandwiched between a fridge, a pot plant and a dining room table. And I was leaning over a chair to maintain eye contact. So on the one hand, I was very, very, very in the moment. On the other hand, I was like, don't sit on the plant behind you. So I was present, but I didn't feel the emotion as much as I normally do. But when I edited it, it was overwhelming because now I had time to appreciate how important this is for him. And it, it just made me realize that what we do is different, but it's the same. Yeah. And it's like everything he said, it's, it's true for me too. So that was, that was emotional. Um, but in terms of my big emotional moment this last time we filmed in cape town it was a, a marathon of shooting it was like six days and we filmed 11 documents 
which doesn't sound a, wow. like a lot because they're only a minute long, but you have to film for hours and hours and hours to get the right amount of content. On the, on the last day, um, we, had, we had filmed so much that whole week and this was the last shoot, the third one of the day, and I was just finished. I also wasn't feeling too great, but we, um, we met up with this acapella group called Anecdote. They're actually Jess's friends, that's how I met them. And they, I asked them, because not everyone could stay for the whole interview, so I asked if they could do um, a couple of their songs first, and then we would interview people who could remain afterwards. So they opened up with one of their original compositions, and they're sitting around this room, and there are people on chairs and couches and on the floor. Six people, they are best friends. And you, you can just tell there's like a, a closeness that exists between these six people. And as soon as they started to sing, it was me and Andrew and Jess. We were just allowed to be flies on the wall in this private practice safe space that they have. And I mean, they could have been on a stage in front of thousands of people, but the performance that they gave just blew my mind it like it absolutely blew me away and I we don't have we've got one lapel mic and I am literally like holding a lapel mic into this room to try and capture their sound afterwards we found out they have a cd so it wasn't necessary but I'm, <laughs> I'm holding this lapel mic out into the universe to capture um, I mean, the, the song is beautiful, the, the words are amazing, the one guy wrote it for his wife and they literally did like a, I don't know what the singing version of a flash mob is, but they did that at his wedding, so like the story is epic, but the song in the harmonizing and the fact that there was no instruments and the fact that that week I had met a free runner, a burlesque dancer, David doing his beach cleanups. Um, we'd met Bootle, the movie man. We had met um, Shannon, who's on a journey to zero waste. Um, there were more. There were so many more, and I can't even remember them all. Um, but the overwhelming emotion that I had listening to Anik Note sing was the realization that I literally have the best job in the entire world. And I did that. Like, it didn't exist before I had this idea and it didn't exist before I was like, stuff it, I'm doing this. And I had just lived like the best work week of my entire life and I was exhausted and I was tired and I was drained and I still had an interview to go, but listening to Anik Note sing, I literally had to look down and look away because I was going to ugly cry right then and there in front of everyone. But it was like the most amazing emotional work experience of my entire life. And I don't, I don't think that they realize how much their music affected me. And I know that this song was written about the one member to his wife and about how they're best friends but it will possibly be the most important song to me for the rest of my life because it was the song I was hearing when I realized that I was doing the thing I was always meant to do yeah that's beautiful so I actually want to talk about that a little bit you and I Tam we both started our own companies slash organizations roughly around the same time I would say yeah so just about the same time that typed out cropped up here comes document and i remember you and i having a chat over whatsapp a little plug for whatsapp right there so if you want to sponsor <laughs> us i remember we were having a chat and and we were both talking about how we just feel so fulfilled in the work that we're doing at the moment that it's just like there has been this culmination of your passion plus your skill set have come together and it's you're finding a way to not only do what you love but also capture what is happening with your fellow humanity right the people around you sharing those stories that otherwise haven't been told or or need to be told louder yeah and we were both burning through savings and 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 just really 
loving what we were doing, but waiting for something to happen, right? Yeah. And I remember we had dedicated a day to each other. You were like, tomorrow's going to be Nick Day. And I was like, <laughs> great. And then tomorrow's going to be Tam Day. I'm going to preface this first by saying that on Tam Day, I lost my duffel bag. <laughs> so I'm sorry for that. I need to rededicate a day to Tam. But on Nick Day, I remember not but 12 hours after you and I got off the phone, I got another phone call from you. And you had just <laughs> spoken with Brandon Stanton of Humans of New York. And this is, I'm sure, is the part of the interview that everyone's like waiting for us to hear <laughs> about your instantaneous overnight success. You reached out to Brandon because he was down in South Africa. Yeah. And he was looking for people to document. Yeah. And I'm going to let you take the story from there. So, Deborah Darling, again, my ever constant well one of my many cheerleaders but my my documented participant cheerleader she actually shared a post from humans of new york asking for assistance in johannesburg he was looking for a fixer um, who could help with translations because in south africa we have 11 official languages but we also have people from all over africa and the world living here so you know, having someone who can speak more than one language is advantageous. I am not that person, though. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, is there, this is like a no. new skill set I don't know about. No, no, no. Um, I am not that person. But I am the person who has a dad who says and has always said that if you don't ask, you don't get. Meaning if you don't try, you'll never know. So yeah. I just just out of the blue emailed him. I was actually on the way to, to the um, media briefing for Comic-Con. The first media briefing I've ever been to because that was just not stuff I used to do in my previous yeah. work life. Um, so I saw, saw Deborah's post and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do the thing. And I emailed him and I was like, I am not the person you're looking for. I'm not a fixer. I don't speak other languages. I really can't help you there. But I am a good producer and I know that if you give me a chance, I can really help you and I want to be involved and I'm not looking to be paid. I just want to be part of something ridiculously amazing because I have been a fan of Humans of New York since I think like six months after he started like eight years ago or nine years ago now. So I've been a huge, 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 huge um, Humans of New York fan because it is exactly like what I'm doing now except with photos. I'm I'm doing the video format of that. I'm 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 using people's actual voices rather than just their words. But yeah, so I sent this email and I was like, I I can't help you with what you want, but I want to help. Please let me know if I can. And I sent it out there into the universe, and I just made a conscious decision to forget about it because I wasn't the right person for the job. And I, um, yeah, I went to Comic-Con, I filmed a Comic-Con, and I mean, I filmed, which is unusual because I don't do that very often. So I just totally forgot about it. And then like a week and a bit later, I got an email and it just, like everything just changed. Just like, <laughs> I don't think since that email, and since all the people that I phoned directly after the email, I have ever spoken to so many people on the phone in one day. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I think I just phoned everyone and I was like, mom, dad, sisters, husband, friends, 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 friends overseas, friends overseas, friends in other overseas countries. And I just like, kept phoning people. I, um, I've never been so excited. His email was just about the fact that, so in South Africa, a bit of context, um, security is an issue here by and large. So people tend to live behind high walls. It's not like, um, it's not like New York where you can walk out of your front door and there are just millions of people that you have access to. Um, in, there's also very, very um, big differences between neighborhoods and cultures and economic status and it's it's just it's different to anywhere else in the world so 
you don't have access to a lot of people and the places where you can just walk up to people outside of a mall is unfortunately in poorer areas. And the problem with, well, there's lots of problems with poorer areas, but on a storytelling level, the problem with poorer areas is that there aren't many happy stories that come out of that. And that's not a... Um, it's not a true record for what South Africa is actually like. The, there are so many sad stories and they all deserve to be heard. But there are also a lot of happy, hopeful, inspiring stories. But in Brandon's specific line of work and his model of storytelling of just approaching people, it doesn't 100% work in Johannesburg. It might work a little bit better in Cape Town, for example. Um, where people live a more outdoorsy kind of life and you can actually go out in the city and stuff, but in Joburg it doesn't work so well. So he just asked me if I could put forward one or two um, stories of people who have inspiring stories. And I put forward three people um, and he chose all three. And he asked to to meet with them. It was Boitemelo um, Katisi, caller to me, Lee Banks, and Khaupi Kabe. And we all met up with him at Zoo Lake on one Saturday. Zoo Lake is literally a lake by the zoo, and we like met in the park. And we he did like a, an hour interview with each person. And between waiting for one participant to arrive after the other one had just left. Um, he's just asking me about document it and what kind of work that I do normally outside of document it. So I like literally just chatting with him, answering his questions. He just suddenly turned around and he just said, okay, you need to stop because I need to interview you properly. And he just literally, he's like, and he took like two steps backwards. We sat on a wall and he just started asking me questions. And then, he, and then in the middle of questions, he's like, okay, just take your glasses off. And I took my glasses off and he takes the photo and then he asks you more questions. And then afterwards, you realize that your whole life is about to change. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was just like, what just happened? What just happened? Um, and then I, I went back to, I took, I went to drop him off at his hotel and he gave me the amazing opportunity to interview him for Documents, which um, was amazing. And then we went and we had lunch and then I got to take him back to the airport. And it was just such a cool, such a cool um, work day on a Saturday yeah. that I didn't get paid for, but the best work day of my whole life. And um, yeah, so I knew he was going to post about uh, me, obviously, but it took about six weeks and then he told me that he was going to do a shout out for Documented. And then I was just like, what? Because that doesn't happen very often. But when you watch, um, like when you follow Humans of New York for as long as I have, you can spot the times where he does do shout outs for projects. And you, you can see how that changes. Yeah. There's um, Paul Ninson. He's a photographer in Ghana who I have now become friends with because of my post. He just reached out to me. He's cool. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. So, but he, before his post and his shout out from Humans of New York, I think on Facebook he had like 111 followers. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was 111. And within days, within days, it was near 50,000 on Facebook alone. Wow. That's the Humans of New York effect on a social media level like that. So when I knew that he was going to do a shout out for Documented, then I just became the most like anxious human in the whole world because you just like <laughs> want it to happen. But what does that mean? Because it all just becomes unknown. And it's like, I am, I'm doing Documented right now and it's the love of my work life, but it's not paying me. Um, so it's one of those things that like, unless we get sponsorship or we find a way to monetize it, it's not something that can continue forever, but it is the most important thing that has ever happened to me in my work life. So obviously during this time, 
I'm imagining every kind of scenario of it probably working out well, but what if it doesn't? Because it's that important to me that it has to work. It just has to work. So I spend some time being more neurotic than I am normally. Um, and yeah, and then I, I, on Sunday, the 11th of November, which is actually, I must just tell you, so the day before, so on the 10th of November, I was in the car with my dad. And um, my dad is a very esoteric human. He, he really believes wholeheartedly in the power of the mind and your emotions. And he's always, he's always been like that. And I would say almost every single time I have followed his advice about thinking about something or meditating or imagining it over and over and over in my mind going the way I wanted to, it's always come to fruition. So he's, he's never led me astray in that, in that department. But so on the 10th, he was like, just so you know, tomorrow is a very, very good day, numerologically speaking. I think that's the word. Yeah, 11-11. Yeah, and then also like the, the um, 2018, if you add up all the digits, there's another 11. Or, and then the one and the, no, not another, yeah, another 11. And then the... Yeah, 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 because a two, two plus zero plus one plus, plus eight, eight yes. equals 11. Uh, yes. And just wow, the, I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, so he said to me, like, if you if you want anything in your work life or whatever, just meditate on it tomorrow because tomorrow is the day to make those things happen. And I didn't do that, I'll be honest. But like a few minutes before midnight, so it's still 11, 11, 2018, my phone starts buzzing like you cannot believe. And I, I always have my phone on silent. It's like a, it's like a habit from producing that I'm now trying to, to break. And it, um, yeah, my phone just wouldn't stop buzzing and vibrating on my nightstand. It woke me up and I just looked at it and I was like, it's happened. And I open up Facebook, I open up Instagram and it's just like the posts and the comments and it's just going and going and going. And people are like, counting the number of new fans that I've got and the the support pouring in from people all over the world and the like the number of people saying you go girl specifically those words on posts and I actually didn't go back to bed until about 4 a.m <laughs> so from like wow. just before midnight to 4 a.m I was awake trying to respond to messages which I know is maybe like a foolhardy exercise but at the same time I feel like if you can spend time in wishing me well, I can spend time in saying thank you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that stuff matters and it counts and it's the way you do things. You acknowledge other people's effort, even if it's not for you, it's, it's the right thing to do. So I stayed up until like 4 a.m. and <laughs> then I passed out for like two hours, woke up again, went back to my phone literally sat with my mom and just went through every message and it just kept changing and she kept pointing out like the important ones and um yeah I just tried to like respond to as many as possible fell asleep again at like 2 p.m until 4 p.m and then started again just trying to say thank you and it was overwhelming the amount of support that I that I received in not just that day but the week and a half since and the people just saying love from New Zealand, love from Australia, love from Kuwait, love from Canada, love from wow. Mexico City, love from um, Bali, love from Ghana, love from freaking everywhere. I think I got Ethiopia, um, I got Egypt, I got Colombia, like places that I'd wish I could go to Finland, Spain. And you definitely have love from New York. <laughs> yes, a lot of love from New York, a lot. And not just from you, Nick. <laughs> yes. From the moment that the post went up on Humans of New York, I remember seeing document it at roughly like 3,500 followers on Instagram. And overnight, like the next morning that I checked, it was like 31,000. Yeah. I was like, that is so incredible. And congratulations on that. that Thank is, you. That is so wonderfully 
achieved, Tam, you know, really, really soak in that success because I know how hard it is to work for something and to dedicate yourself to something. And then just to have that moment, you know, it all harkens back to to that conversation that we were having that day of just really hoping things would fall into place. Yeah. You know, it does go back to (laughs) it does go back to the the Nick day, though, because like the post, the Humans of New York post was amazing. And the the attention that I've gotten from it is amazing. But if we're very honest about it, I didn't do that. Brandon and his 18 million followers on Facebook and his 8.3 million followers on Instagram did that. And I will be forever grateful to them and to him for that. But yes, but what really helped was having things like Nick Day and having time when I got to speak to my friend Tatum and having my mom nearby who could help me with my subtitles and like, because she's my spell checker. Yeah. You know, having Andrew who can help me film stuff and, and he's my sounding board for everything and just having people around to make it happen. And that I think is my greatest accomplishment in all of this is that not many people get to do this, but I've built a network of people who love me and support me and will follow me on any crazy idea I have. And for once, yeah. I paid off. <laughs> like, that's the big thing. Like, that's the, like, everything else is really, really, really cool, but that's the coolest part. Yeah. I'm just going to fan your ego a little bit, only to say that <laughs> Oprah says that it's really opportunity meets preparation, right? So yeah, it's like you were prepared for that moment. Oh, because uh, otherwise, what? <laughs> only a little bit. <laughs> but seriously, though, it's it's your experience and, and what you've been doing, your collective knowledge of, of knowing what you want to do, having the skill set to do it, and then, you know, taking the leap of faith your dad has instilled within you to reach out to Brandon to make that happen. So truly there is, you know, some, yeah, but, but do can... take a little credit. I know that you're, <laughs> you're so good with, with thanking everyone else and, and they should be, but I also want you to, to really, um, well, I want to just be realistic about like the timelines here. Okay. So I only had the idea for documented in June. So Documented is actually probably a little bit younger than typed out is right now. Like you've you've been working harder and typed out for for longer than I have. And I think that watching what you have done and watching what other people have done online and social media and just just even like influences here in South Africa, that enabled me to get it together a bit quicker because I've I've had ideas in the past where I haven't done something and I've just left it for that little bit too long and then someone else has jumped on it and and then you've missed the boat um so so when I saw you doing your thing I was like well it's time now and (laughs) well thank you (laughs) the first episode of um well the first documented video I don't know what to call it yet. Like, is it an episode or is it a video or like, I don't know, conversation for another Ducky shorts, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I've been calling them. Well, but been, like, let me not tell you how to brand. Well, I don't you see, I call it like the channel is documented, but I call a video a documented, but then I also call it an episode and one day I'll figure it out. But um, so the first one only came out at the end of August. Uh, there have only been 14 Wednesdays since I um, started actually releasing videos this has only been going since june so you know we're talking about like six months and on the one hand i'm like you are so lucky that things are going the way you want them to in only six months which i think is because i've finally figured out the right thing for me but on the other hand i realized that it's also not actually only six months it's been 33 years well 32 years and six months, you know, whatever the case may be. It's like, it's taken a lifetime to figure out what it is that I want to do. And often, like, people will email me or uh, they'll suddenly, like, in the last week and a half, there'll be an opportunity 
and someone will say, can you just send me this? And I'm not actually ready. I like, I'm not because I've, this whole process has been overwhelming and it's been rolling with the punches. Um, so I often just have to, like we talk about, just keep dancing and hope no one notices that you don't actually know the steps. So on the one yeah. hand, I'm very aware that I'm so lucky that this has gone well so quickly. And on the other hand, I'm like, actually, you've worked a lot longer than you realize. So it's like a, it's a weird place to be. It's good. But congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Of course. And one thing I did want to ask was through the comments that you saw coming in, was there one in particular that, or maybe a few in particular that really resonated with you in a way? There are so many. Um, I got one today that I'll, that I'll read out to you because I had to take a screen grab because I was just like, what? That's amazing. But um, I think... I think what what I realized is, because obviously, I mean, for people who haven't read my story, um, I used to work for a company, and in the beginning, it was amazing. Um, it was supportive, and it was fun, and it, it got me out of, like, nine months of not having a job. This was just when I moved back from, from London, so I had not worked in nine months, so being given a job was amazing. And everyone seemed really cool. Um, and I worked really, really hard. And I went from being a freelancer to being employed full time. And the thing is, is that when you freelance somewhere, you work a lot harder. Well, I don't have that much full time experience, but this is my um, my understanding from having freelanced at so many different companies over the years. Um, when you freelance, you tend to work a little bit harder than full-time employees do. Not because they're lazy and not because they don't want to, but because they have safety that you don't have. Yeah. You are the person who can get kicked out when you're no longer needed, when the project's over or it goes away or whatever. You, there is no commitment so you have to bring your A game all the time and you have to be on the ball and it's hard, but you do it because that's the job. The job isn't producing or editing or being a camera person or it doesn't actually matter what they've hired you to do, but the person that they've hired is the person who has to get it done because otherwise you're out of there. So... I went from being a, a freelance employee who would jump whenever requested because that's what you do when you're a freelancer um, most of the time. And when I became a full-time employee, things started to change a bit. So where I would get, um, where I was hired for doing a really good job, I suddenly became the person who in, like the, the, the roles had changed. So before they needed me and I was on top of my game. Now I think they thought I needed them because now I'm an employee and now I am beholden to them for my security and for, and now I must be grateful and I must do whatever they want. But this particular company has a terrible, terrible management style and also just a way of like attracting people. So they're like, I don't know, there must be like a bug or some kind of, like a Venus flytrap where it puts out this smell that attracts something, attracts flies and whatever, and then they get eaten. So it's that like sweetness or that whatever it is that you want, they give you that. And then when you actually work there, you're like, oh, I don't want this anymore, but now You've got the security and you've got the retirement and you've got the medical aid and you've got everything. And they had a, a style of communication and um, just dealing with people in general where they would break you down a little at a time. Not all in one go because that's not how abuse works. No one just suddenly walks up to you and starts yelling at you because then you would be shocked into action. But if slowly but surely people start no longer talking to you, no longer greeting you, then not actually acknowledging any work that you've done and then 
um, degrading you and then shouting at you and then calling you names. And it, so it happens in steps and it happens in stages. And eventually it got to a point where I couldn't do it anymore. And it wasn't that I wasn't aware of it, but it's also like this is a job. And before this, I didn't have one for a very long time. Um, and also I was young. Um, I was only... I was only 26 and before that when we when we met in London which was the previous place I'd been um I did finish working there at the Discovery Channel but before that I was with you at RADA and while you were a student I was working the tills during your lunch but I was also washing dishes for 300 people three times a day by myself yeah so I had all of this backstory of try and make this work because the alternatives before that weren't necessarily that great. Um, and also, it doesn't always happen in one go. It's like a slow wave that comes in. What I realized in reading all those comments on the Facebook and Instagram posts is that there are so many people all over the world, and most of the people who commented about it were women, um, about how they're being brought down by the people who employ them or or hire them or whatever their work situation is and it seems like it's actually a very common scenario for people to break you down to a point where your confidence is so low that you don't actually realize that what they're saying is utter bullshit like they break you down to a point that you don't realize that you aren't what they say you are and that is what abuse is. So on the one hand... That's called gaslighting. Yeah. And on the one hand, I realized that this is happening to so many people and it wasn't just me. And then on the other hand, I realized that so many people don't understand how this works. And then for that scenario, there are two hands as well. So on the one hand, yeah. I am so happy for you that you don't know how abuse works. Like, what an amazing experience it must be to not have any frame of reference for how terrible that must be. And on the other hand, are you blind? How can yeah. you not see that this is the way so many people are treated? And it's not just in a workplace. Like, you can see it when you go to a restaurant. Like, you know how many times you, you have... Um, you, you go to a restaurant with someone who's not necessarily your friend, but like a work colleague or whatever. And they're really, really nice to you, but they're terrible to the waiter. Yeah. Every time I have ever encountered those kinds of scenarios, it always makes me feel the same. And it makes me realize that those situations aren't just about employee, employer. Um, it's about human to human. It's the person who makes your coffee who you don't thank. It's yeah. the person who pushes in front of you um, and the person who you open the door for but won't even make eye contact. Um, it's the people who, who have no idea that you even exist. It's the people who you um, have to reintroduce yourself to year after year after year because you don't matter. And that's the problem is that all of these kinds of experiences all add up. And they have such a huge capacity to make people feel the way I did in that one instance over the nine months that I was there. I wasn't there for very long, but it was long enough for me to lose sense of who I was and to phone home in tears every single day asking if it would be okay if I quit. Like, if I quit my job, am I a quitter? Like, is that what that means? So it took, it took a lot of... A lot of team talks it took a lot of self team talks to get out of that but it that whole experience really really made me realize like those situations don't happen in isolation they happen all the time and not just in the workplace they happen every single day to so many people everywhere and I think that without me even realizing it at, at the time like I think that's also a big part of where um, document it comes from in terms of I just want to listen to people's stories for a change yeah yes I'm asking questions to kind of like pull it out of them but I want to hear those stories because that's not something that in general we 
do for people anymore. We don't give them our time. We don't give them our attention. We don't give them our empathy. Um, we don't give them our ears. Yeah. I think it's so important that we just like actually put our phones down. We start talking to people and we just be nice to one another. And I think like that's, that's also a big part of documented is I have this very big need to do things differently because that, that one media company where I worked, the way they treated me was unacceptable, but a lot of media companies do that. And a lot of people in this industry are unhappy and you, you hear about, um, the suicide rates of people who work in the film industry and I'm sure it happens everywhere but it happens in South Africa and that's what we hear about and you hear about people being unhappy and being unpaid and being abused and being having their time abused and their skills abused and um, just work for you know the exposure as though you could eat exposure for breakfast you know as though that would pay your bills so there's so many there's so many different things that I personally have um, dealt with and experienced or watched other people go through because because I largely freelance I move around a lot so I see the same stuff happening over and over and over again and luckily not in like in the offices of the clients who I've worked with most in the past like three or four years because they are the people I'm like you're good guys I can stay with you and they have become repeat business but I have seen this happens so many times to so many people and with document I want it to be different if we're not yeah. all winning no one is winning if we're not all working together for the same goal we're not working as a team and if someone is unhappy we have an ethical obligation if we are able to try and make it better and that I'm hoping will be paid forward to other people to the participants of our documents, to the people who get to see those stories, to the people who get to help the people in the stories, the people who get to share them. Um, it's just, it's got to be a cycle of just starting here and spreading outwards because I don't know how else to fix it or change it or do anything. But yeah. there's something wrong and I don't want it to be like that anymore. And if that just right. means talking to people and giving them my time and then giving them the video afterwards, they can do whatever they need to do, then that's, that's the way I'm going to go at it. And that's basically why documented is yeah. so important to me. It's not just the documentary side of it. Like, that's great and that's fun and I love that. But it's the, it's the other stuff that has suddenly become so important to me. And I really, really, really love talking to these people, Nick. It is amazing. It's like... I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as what I do. I'm like, it's like a little bit of a drug and I think I'm hooked. <laughs> yeah. And if, if it takes genuine human connection to bring us a little closer, like there could be worse things, you know? And that's the whole point. The whole point is connecting humanity, right? Exactly. You know, that's what Document It seeks to do. That's what Typed Out seeks to do. Yes. It's getting to know your neighbor is, is truly the whole thing. And maybe even somebody that might be different from you. Yeah. But Tam... Yes. One last question. Tell me, tell me, ask me. Before we wrap up, because I know it's getting quite late there. What can we expect for the future of Document It? Ooh, wee. Um, <laughs> Will we be seeing you international? I hope so. I really hope so. Um, I, don't, I don't want to, to neglect South Africa because this is, this is where it started. It's home base. I want to I wanna take, I want to take Document It outside of Joburg and Cape Town firstly, because that's, that's where we've been most of the time. I want to go to Durban. I want to go to um, everywhere, actually. I was going to list a whole bunch of places, but I'm not even going to bother. Like, I want to go to everywhere that's not Joburg or Cape Town as well. Yeah. I, I, think, I think we're going to take this show on the road. Um, and I think we are going to try and start making the circle bigger. You can only do what you can do, and this is what I can do, so I'm going to do it. And where can we find Document It? Where can we see your weekly Wednesday videos? So we are on um, Facebook, Document It. We are on Instagram, also Document It. We are on Twitter, which is Document It underscore SA. We're also on YouTube, uh, which the channel is Document It. You know, if some people could follow YouTube, that would be great. That's the one place where I don't know what I'm doing. Um, 
<laughs> I need some help with YouTube. <laughs> so if you if you like to use YouTube, please follow yeah, Document It. That would make me so happy. Yeah. But also our website is um, www.documentit.co.za, which actually has all the links to everywhere anyway. So maybe just start there. And everyone, please check out Document It because the work that they are doing is incredible. And you get a weekly story that runs the gamut as far as the inspiring people that live in this world. And Tam, I also know that there's a way to donate towards Document It. How can we find um, a way to do that? You are so good at this stuff. I'm so new. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. I'm quite new too. I just literally <laughs> fell off the truck. <laughs> You're doing well. You're doing well. So um, we are in the process of creating a Patreon account. Um, it is, it's quite tricky because there's a video involved, but we also have other videos every week. So I'm getting to it. It's happening. But in the, in the interim, we do have a PayPal portal on our website, which is document.co.za. And yeah, I'll, I'll keep that up for a while longer and eventually just replace it with the Patreon on the same, the same page. But yeah, if anyone can contribute, that would be amazing because not just so that we can keep our crew happy because they're really doing this just for the the love of the story at the moment and maybe also the love of me. But yeah, I want to make this my job. I want to stop selling people stuff and start showing them stuff rather. Yeah. Well, if you have a little to contribute, please do so towards Document It because the work that they are doing is really very inspiring. And Tam, I want to thank you again for taking the time to sit down and interview with me today and to share your story and the story of Document It. And hopefully somebody listening is equally as inspired by you as I am. I so. cannot wait to make the typed out Document It. I'm just putting that out there. Well, um, for the folks listening, please contribute so that we can bring Document It over to New York. <laughs> that would be amazing. Again, thank you. And uh We'll, we'll be chatting soon and, and we'll be looking and following along with Documented Success. Thank you, my friend. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Much love to you always. Bye, Tam. Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this edition of the Typed Out Podcast, you can find all of our episodes available on iTunes and Spotify. Please let us know what you think by leaving a comment and rating, and be sure to subscribe for when new episodes are released every Tuesday. You can also find more content from the Typed Out team on our website, www.typedout.co, and all major social media outlets. Search for us in your keyword bar and look for our logo. I have been your host, Nick Polifrone, and I will see you again next week. This has been a Typed Out production.